an amazing word of God that God uh, touched so many of us last Wednesday night. Tonight I'm going to be talking about the glorious king. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus, how he is greater inside of our life. And I don't know about you, but this series has been in an amazing series, just lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. There's one person you could always brag about and you'll never get in trouble. And guess who that is? It's the only one that deserves it. His name is Jesus Christ. When you and I lift up the name of Jesus and begin to praise him and begin to thank him, how many of us know that demons have to flee? How many of you know that, that all of a sudden the obstacles begin to vanish as God's name is glorified, as his name is exalted? And that's what we've been doing all this month. And we're going to be talking about Jesus, the glorious king, book of Hebrews, chapter 8. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. And you might say, well, why do we need to read chapter 8? Well, the reason why you have to read chapter 8 is because you have to have 8 to get to 9. Some of you didn't get that. No, chapter 8 is an amazing chapter. I love it. Amen. Verse 1, the Bible says this. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is sitting at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Verse 5, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, this is God speaking, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator, uh, mediator of the better covenant, covenant, which was established on better promises. While we go ahead and pray this evening, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are a faithful high priest. And right now, Lord, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, that your name would be glorified and exalted, that your name would be praised. I pray, Lord, that we get a greater understanding of your word. I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that they will leave this place knowing you. We'll be sure to give you all the worship. Lord, we pray that your name would be exalted tonight. We bind every strategy of the enemy, every distraction, God, that will keep your people from, Lord, marinating on your word, Lord. And we pray tonight, Lord, that your name would be exalted in praise and all of God's people said. Amen. The great high priest that you and I serve. Oh my gosh, Jesus Christ is his name. You study the book of Genesis and you read about a high priest by the name of Melchizedek. And the Bible says that Melchizedek was a copy and shadow of the Christ. Now, we know that he was a high priest, but not only was he a priest, he was also a king. Now, one of the things we know about Christ is that Christ is the great high priest, but not only is he the great high priest, he also is the glorious king of all kings. And what happens when you get this understanding, all of a sudden it begins to shape the, the way you and I live our life. And it begins to shape the way you and I talk. Because how many of us know that if you study the word of God, that you and I are kings and priests also? Amen. And the Bible says that God pulled us out of darkness into his glorious light. 
and all of a sudden we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. We are, ro we are a ro royal priesthood. The Bible says that God, he took us out of darkness and all of a sudden he gave us what? He gave us an inheritance that you and I are set free by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 talks about all these things, and he begins to, to say all these things to us. But how many of us tonight, you feel like a, a royal priesthood? Some of you just feel like you're in the hood, and you're just getting beat up, you know. But the Bible calls us a royal priesthood. Now, if you study the priesthood of the Old Testament, a lot of people, they think about all this religious jargon, and they think about priests like the Roman Catholic priests. These are not the priests we're talking about. We're talking about priests that, I mean, they had dignity. I mean, they were special to God, that they were God's chosen, that God said, you guys came and buy property. You guys, your inheritance is me. All they did was ministered and ministered at the tabernacle and the temple, and they ushered in the presence of God. These men worked nonstop behind the scenes to what? To bring the presence of God, the holy presence of God, to the people of God. The tabernacle is a very cool thing. Now, we're going to put a picture of the tabernacle up tonight. The tabernacle is, um, it was a place where the Holy of Holies dwelt, and it's the second slide. Okay, so right there, you see a picture of the tabernacle. Now, right there, in, in the, as you go into the courts, those courts with the dirt, and you see the, the, the bronze altar, and you see the bronze uh, laver right there, the smaller one right by that other tent, that was called the outer courts. Now, the outer courts... Only those in good standing that were coming with their sin offering got to go to that place and they got to confess their sins to the high priest, okay? So they would go to the, uh, right there to that bronze altar and they would bring a goat or a bull and they would go right there and they would have that bull there and they would go to the, to the high priest and they say, you know what, I lied. I stole. They began to confess their sins and then what they would do is they would get their hand and they would put it on the, the animal and then the high priest would get a, a knife and give it to that person. The person would get that knife and they would have to slit the animal's throat. Now when that happened, blood was coming out, the animal was dying. And what happened was the high priest would get a basin, like a bowl, sticking underneath there. And the blood would go into that basin. Then the high priest would go, you can't see them, but there was four horns on that altar. He would go to those four horns and begin to sprinkle blood on that altar, and all of a sudden, that man, his sins were what? They were all of a sudden, they were not forgiven. They were in forbearance. In the Old Testament, there was never forgiveness of sins. There was only forbearance until the ultimate sacrifice, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So they go to that place, and they'll confess their sin, and that's the closest they could go to the, the, uh, the, holy, the holy place, that tent, and the Holy of Holies, which was inside of that place. But the outer courts was the closest you'd get. You'd confess your sins. You'd kill an animal. And then you'd go out of that place. And you know that, you know what, my sins, I, I, got, I got them. Forgive, not forgiven, but in forbearance for another year on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, which happened last week, uh, uh, October 8th of this year. So they said, another year. I'm free from these, this sin. But it was only forbearance. Only forbearance. That sin was just transferred to another year. Transferred to another year. Transferred to another year. And those were the outer courts. We're going to look at the outer courts really quick. Um, Book of Hebrews. 
The Bible says this. It says, for he says, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you. In verse 5 that we just read. And the Bible goes on to say in the book of Exodus chapter 25 verse 9. According to all that I've shown you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle. And the pattern in all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. You see this right here in the, these, these outer courts. God began to give Moses a pattern for them to follow. You see the bronze altar right there. And the bronze altar, what that represented a place of sin and of sacrifice. Sin and sacrifice. So they're right there. They'd be, they'd be con confessing their sins, a place of sin and sacrifice. But all of a sudden, in the New Testament, you and I have Christ who came for our sins. And he made the ultimate sacrifice inside of our life. That you and I, we know that you and I can have forgiveness of everything that we've ever done inside of our life. Every, every lie you ever told, everything that you've ever done, you have forgiveness inside of your life. Once and for all, Jesus takes them away. It's an exciting thing when you and I really think about what Christ has done inside of our life. I don't know why some of you guys are falling asleep in that. I mean, that is exciting. When you and I really have that concept of, man, God is so good. So the outer courts, Jesus, he offered himself. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22, So Christ was sacrificed once for all to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now we see the bronze laver, the second thing right there. The bronze laver, it's a smaller piece, and the priest would go to it, and it was made out of bronze, out of mirrors, of bronze that were donated from the women who served in the tabernacle. And what happened was they didn't have mirrors like we did, have, what we have now, but they had these mirrors out of bronze and they would polish them. And what God said when they began to build the tabernacle, He said, I want the women to donate their bronze mirrors and, uh, for the tabernacle, for this laver where the priests would wash their hands and wash their feet before they go into the holy place. So these women, they donated all these bronze mirrors. How many sisters have your mirror? You always look at yourself. You love, you know, oh, praise God. You know, I look really nice. Back then, they weren't so easy to get. So this was a sacrifice for these women to do that. They sacrificed, they sacrificed these bronze mirrors, and they made this, this laver where the priests would go, and they would wash. They would wash. And how many of us know that you and I, we are purified by the word of God? We are purified by the word of God. The Bible talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. The Bible says something very awesome about that. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Now the word of God, it represents a couple of things. But one of the things I love the word of God representing is water. And how many of us know that sometimes you need to take a bath? Every day, right? But you go to your teenager, you're like, you know what, man, you need to take a bath. You need to take a shower. Some of you sisters go to your husband, honey, you need to get in that bath. But the word of God, what does it do? It purifies our life. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, the word of God purifies us. And that's why the enemy will want to keep us out of the word of God. Because when you get in God's word... All of a sudden you begin to get replenished and you begin to get cleansed and all the moral filth around you just has to go away. All those things have to vanish away. All those, all the, all those, the, those that sickness, all, all, the, all those things have to vanish away. 
when you and I are in the Word of God, there's, there's this purity that comes over our hearts and minds. If you're here today, you're struggling with sin. If you're struggling with lust, you need to get in the Word of God. You need to get in the Word of God. If you're here today, you're struggling with, with, with addiction. You need to get into the Word of God. And the Word of God, he begins to give us instruction about confessing our faults to one to another. He begins to give us instruction about confessing our faults by uh, finding uh, help that you and I find not through a higher power, but through Christ. Through Christ and through Christ alone. So we see right there that the Word of God washes us. But not only is the Word of God like water, but the Word of God is like a mirror. Now these men of God, these high priests, these priests, they're right there at that basin, they're washing themselves, but they began to see the imperfections and the things they needed to change inside of their life. So when you get into the Word of God, when I get into the Word of God, all of a sudden God's Word becomes a mirror inside of our life. And we begin to see the things that you and I, we must change. How many of us think tonight we have it all together? We don't need no help. You can't tell me what to do. You can't change my life. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what I'm going through. And you know what? We could get ego. We could get pride inside our life. But how many of you know when you get in the word of God, all of a sudden it begins to become a mirror to our life. The Bible says in James chapter 1 verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. Say humble. Turn to your neighbor and say humble yourself. <laughs> Did they get angry? Then they really need to humble themselves, right? It says, with meekness, then planted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You know, it's awesome to come to church and take notes, right? I love taking notes. But God doesn't just want us to take notes. He wants us to get the word and he wants us to do the word. He wants us to put the word into practice inside of our life. He wants us to be those people that God has called us to be. And it's not just about, you know, knowing it in theory. It's about living it out every single day of our lives. It's about living, being a living epistle read by all men and all women. People see our lives and you and I, we want to live it. God is so good. The Bible goes on to say this. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man, like a woman, observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he or she who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word... This one will be blessed in what they do. I don't know about you, church, but I want to be blessed. I want my kids blessed. I want my marriage blessed. I, I want, when, when, when I'm with my wife, with my kids, I want that time blessed. I, I, I can't let the devil, I don't want the devil to steal that blessed time. You know, the devil has stolen so much from so many people. How many know we don't want the devil to take any more? You need to get angry at the enemy. Get a holy, righteous anger against it. And when you and I are in the word of God, the devil gets angry and scared. Why? Because it transforms our life. And you and I become more like Christ. Amen. So now we're going to go into the holy place. Now, the holy place was a place where only the priest could go into. 
um, they would go in, they would minister to the Lord, and there were some different uh, furnishings there. And in that holy place, one of the cool things I want to talk about, the first thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the lampstand that was there in that place, the menorah, also called. Now, the menorah had seven stems. There was th three uh, olive shoots on the left and then three olive shoots on the right. And then there was the stem, the main stem that went right through the middle. But the stems that went on the side, there was three on the left and then three on the right. And that was the number of six and if you study six in the Bible, we know it's the number of man, and man is always incomplete, right? Without God, you and I are incomplete. Without God, you and I are searching. Without God, you're looking in the clubs, you're looking in the bars, you're looking on, on your phone, you're looking on the internet, and you're empty, you're searching, you're thirsty, you're in darkness inside of your life. But then there's the seventh stem right in the middle, and seventh, it represents completion, you and I are only complete when you and I are in Christ. There's no other way that you and I can be complete. It's only when you and I are in Christ Jesus that we have joy, that we have peace, that we have anointing flowing over our life from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Wherever we go, people see the radiance of Jesus Christ flowing inside and through our lives. It's an amazing thing. Now the lampstand. Um, this was a place that could never go out. We're going to put a picture of the lampstand up. This lampstand could never go out. The high priest had to tend to it day and night. And right there we see the lampstand right there in the holy place. And that the priest is there. He's tending to it. This light could never go out. It could never go out. These priests, they were always working. They were always doing things. And a lot of times, you know what, the people of God, they couldn't see what was going on. Why? Because it was enclosed. It was in a tabernacle. It was around a tent. And I think a lot of times people think pastors have a really easy job, but you just don't see all we do. There's all, we're always working, getting calls at 3 o'clock in the morning, going here, going to this hospital, that. Yeah, this people needs counsel, that people needs counsel. This person called. How did they get my phone number? How did that person get my phone number? You go, man, he's probably just up there just, you know, just praising God and just, you know, inside an air-conditioned place, taking a little nap right now. No, that's just not the truth. <laughs> You're always tending to something. And the, the high priest was tending to something. He's tending to the lamp. But this was a type and shadow. It was not an illustration, but it was actually a type and shadow of Christ. Jesus said in the book of John chapter 8, Verse 12 says, and Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That was the only light in that place. If that light wasn't in that room, there would be no light in that, in that room, in the holy place. And you and I, as you and I come into the presence of God, as you and I get into the word of God, God begins to light our life. He begins to give us light in situations where we don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? You didn't know what to do and all of a sudden God's word begins to illuminate your path because the Bible says that your word, and we know the word is who? The word is Jesus. The Bible says that we know he's the word. Book of John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the very logos. He is the word of God. Now, you study the word of God, and one of the things we know about the word of God is the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. Amen. It really is. It's a lamp. So if you're here, you don't know where to go, I challenge you to get into the presence of God and say, God, be a light to this dark path that I'm in. 
Lord, maybe you're here today, you have kids that are far away from God. I challenge you, Lord, Lord, be a light. Send light their way. Light their way, God, so they can see your glorious light because you are the glorious king. So now we're going to go to the next. We're going to go to the table. The table with the showbread. Now the table with the showbread is going to come up. And those are not pancakes. You go, man, those priests ate some big pancakes back then. No, those are not pancakes. Those were, uh, th that was bread. It was not consecrated bread. But it was actually called bread of the presence. Now, bread of the presence is a Hebrew term that means bread of your face. Being in the very face, in the very presence of God. Now, this is a type of shadow. The bread is of this. Found in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 51. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he or she shall live forever. And the bread also, which I shall give for life of the world, is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. If you're here today and you don't have no joy, if you are empty, I challenge you to say, Jesus, be my bread. Be my bread. And when you and I, how do you get into the, this bread? Where do you get this bread from? Do, I, do you go to the guy who, you know, sells, you know, sweet bread? Do you go down, you know, to that good place in Whittier that we all like to go to? <laughs> no, you can't get that bread there. This bread is found in the very presence of God. The very presence of God as you and I were worshiping the Lord, as you and I were praising God, some of you were getting that bread. You were saying, give me that bread, give me that bread, give me that bread. You were getting that bread, that bread of his presence. Jesus gives you the bread. The bread, and you and I are satisfied. We don't want this world. We're satisfied in him. We're satisfied in him. What did Jesus tell his disciples? I have bread that you know not of. Bread. There's people looking for that bread and material things. There's people looking for that bread and, and, and this thing and that thing. And, and all across the board, they're looking for that bread. And, you know, the only way you and I are truly satisfied is by having that personal, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. There's, there's no other way. We, we, we really don't want to complicate it. It's by having a relationship with Jesus. It's not just about being in ministry. It's about having a relationship with Christ. It really is. Because you could be so busy with things that you forget about being with him. Being in that place and just being in his presence and, and seeing the, his light, feeling his light, eating the bread. And now we're going to go to the final place and to the Holy of Holies. And what we're going to do now is we're going to close these curtains. And as we close these curtains, I'm going to give you an illustration of the holy place, the most holy place, called the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was a place where only one person could go into that place. It was the high priest, and it was only once a year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And there were special requirements. He had to put on special um, clothes that he only wore on that day. They were all white clothes. He had put on a special um, tunic. Um, 
he had to do a special sacrifice for his sins and the sins of his family. And he would go into the, the, the holy place, which had, you know, had the lampstand and then had, uh, had the altar of incense, which I, we didn't cover tonight. But all of a sudden, he would come to this place, and there was this veil that went from the holy place to the most holy place. And some commentators say that that veil was four inches thick. Four inches thick. Now, this place was a place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. And the Ark of the Covenant wasn't something that anyone can see. It's not like you could just, some of you right now are saying, Pastor, the Ark of the Covenant, I would just run in there, I would just get that curtain, and I would just go touch it. No, you, you probably wouldn't, and let me tell you why. Uzzah was one of the men who accidentally touched the Ark of the Covenant, and he was struck down as the people were worshiping God. Um, some other men in, in the Word of God, and I'm going to read this, this uh, portion of Scripture, but some other men were also struck down in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 6, verse 19. And look at these men. They wanted to see what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. But the Bible does give us some details of what was inside of it. One of them was Aaron's rod that had budded, that distinguished him as the, the leader, the man of God that God had chosen. Another thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. And also the manna that came down from heaven. That's what we know we're in the Ark of the Covenant, all right? Is this helping anyone tonight? You guys are not falling asleep? Okay, don't fall asleep. You might get struck by the Ark. No. <laughs> okay, so look at these men. These men, uh, the Bible says in verse 16, it says, And he struck the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people cried because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. Okay? So this place, you couldn't just run and touch the veil and go into that place. If you did, you were dead meat, literally dead meat. So it was a place where only the high priest could go into. Now, when Jesus sacrificed himself as the Lamb of God, we know that he was on the cross. And we know that at that time, in the Jewish temple, there was a veil. And they, they even say the veil was 40 feet high in that veil. In the veil, we know that Jesus is up on the cross as the perfect Lamb of God. Get excited, church. This is exciting. This is there as the perfect Lamb of God. As the final sacrifice, as the final sacrifice. And what happened was, Jesus was there on the cross, but before that time, every year, you had to come and sacrifice animals. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how many dead cows would be here in this place tonight? Because of all the sins you did today? This place would be full of carne asada. It would be smelling really bad. But there would be how many animals would be here in this place? Because God is holy. He's, he's so holy. So there's that veil there, and the Bible says that Jesus was on the cross, and he cried out his final words, It is finished. And right there, there was a tear in the veil. You could stop it right there. Oh, my gosh, you could throw on some worship music right now. <laughs> And right there, the veil was torn, and all of a sudden, men 
didn't have to bring, you know, the blood of, of goats and animals. And it was not only the high priest that could go right there into that most holy place, but it was you and I that we could get into the presence of God. We could get into the most holy place. This evening, the most holy place, if, if we went in there before, before this happened, you and I, we would die. You and I would be dead. We'd be dead. We, we, we would no longer live. The, only the high priest could go into that place. But all of a sudden, when Jesus did that, the Bible says from the top of the veil to the bottom of the veil, because from the top down, from heaven down, what happened was all of a sudden, you and I could enter in the presence of God. You and I could enter in to the presence of God. It's an amazing thing that you and I, we don't have to be a high priest. We don't have to be a son of Aaron. We don't have to sacrifice the blood of bulls. We don't have to sacrifice uh, all these countless things. But can you imagine, what were the odds of you being a high priest anyways? You had a better chance of making it to the NBA. There was no way you were a high priest. It, it's like there was no access to the place. Can you imagine that? You know, you know there's those cool people that you want to hang out with them, you want to access with them, but what happens? Sometimes they close the door, and you're like, but I wanted to go to that birthday party, but they didn't invite me. There was no access there, no access granted. But all of a sudden, what happened? Jesus, he provided access that you and I, we could enter into the most holy place. We could enter into the most holy place, and you and I could spend that time with Jesus. What does that do for you and I? I, I believe it does tremendous things tonight. The writer of Hebrews gets really deep, and he says this. In verse 19 of chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holies, the holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Now he gives us instruction in verse uh, 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. He says, let our lives, let our, let our lives uh, know that we're washed, that all of a sudden that, that unclear conscience is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because you and I came and you and I accepted by faith his sacrifice that he's done for you and I. You can please turn off that light. Thank you so much. You guys did an awesome job. Verse 23, he gets even better. He says, let us hold fast. Everyone say, hold fast. I want you to grab the person next to you's hand unless you're single and you're not married to them. Because we want to be holy, right? We want to live holy, okay? So if they're, you're married to them, then you could grab their hand. But if you're not married to them, grab your own hand and go like this. Let us hold fast. <laughs> let us hold fast to our hope without wavering. Everyone say, don't waver. Don't waver. For he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24 even gets better. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That means that we got to encourage one another. We got to stir one another up. Let them know I'm with you. God's with you. We're right here in this together. 
Let's go forward for Jesus together. Let's serve God together. God is still with us. If you're with somebody that's struggling right now, just in the mighty name of Jesus, pray right now. Lord, right now deliver them by your power and your anointing. By your power and your anointing. Verse 25, he, he says these words, and it applies to you and I as coming to church. He says, not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together as is the manner of some. He says, there's some people that don't come to church, and we're all thinking about that person right now. They should be here right now, right? But exhorting one another in so much and more as you see and I see the day approaching. Wow. Now, my final point is the most important, the most significant of anything, and I just hope this uh, tonight, you grab this, you grasp this tonight. But I want to talk about, lastly, if we can get the keys up here. I want to talk about something that we know Jesus did, and we know that the high priest, he entered into the most holy place by the blood of bulls and goats. But you and I, we enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, the, the precious the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Have you thought of that lately? How precious the blood of Jesus Christ is over your life? Have you thought about that? Or have you forgotten how good God has been to you and what he's done? So my final point tonight is treasuring the blood. Treasuring the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 26 of chapter 10, it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And a lot of people always say, man, the Old Testament was, was so, you know, they're so strict in the Old Testament. There was no mercy there. There was no mercy. There was no mercy there. But look what he goes on to say right here. He says, anyone who rejected it died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Now, grace tonight is something we cannot take lightly. It's something that we can't go, oh, God's going to have grace on me. Oh, I can live the way I want. I can talk the way I want. I can watch what I want. I'll just, you know, God will have grace on me. But when you and I have that attitude, it's, it's, it's demonic. But what happens is we insult the spirit of grace. We insult God and we get God's blood. And we're like, you know what? That wasn't even too much what he did. That wasn't that big of a sacrifice. How do we get to that place? We get to that place by, you know, just living normal Christian lives of, you know what, going through the motions of our ministry, going through the motions of life forgetting where God has brought us from, but I'm here to tell you tonight, church, you can never forget what God has done for you. I can never forget what God has done for me. I mean, he set me free. He delivered me from so many things. 
He crowned my life with favor and love and strength and mercy and purity and righteousness. All these things God done in my life. I didn't do it by willpower. I didn't do it because my dad did it. I did it because God gave me the strength to do it by his Holy Spirit. That's the only way. The Holy Spirit. You might say, man, that temple of the Old Testament, that tabernacle was pretty cool. It gets even better. The temple now, the tabernacle now is you in me. The presence of God dwells inside of us. The veil was torn that the presence of God would not only be in the holy place, but it left that place. Why? Because the old covenant, it's obsolete now. The Bible says we have better promises and a better covenant. We just read about that. We have better promises. We have a better covenant. And now what do you and I see inside of our lives? The temple, I mean the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Yes. Man. Oh, Shanda Rabba. You start speaking in tongues. Presence of God starts flowing. You start raising your hands over your situation. You start saying, God, I'm going to worship you till I get my breakthrough, God. The Holy Spirit begins to move. And the Holy Spirit begins to strengthen our lives. The enemy has to flee. You and I have victory. Why? Because of what he did when he said, it is finished. You know, in the Old Testament, the high priests, there was no chairs in there. They always had to stand. They were always ministering. But now our high priest, the Bible says, he went, he's right up there next to God the Father, and he's sitted, sitting down. Why? Because it is finished. You and I are what? A royal priesthood. A chosen generation out of darkness into his glorious light. That's the God that you and I serve. How do you and I enter into that secret place? You and I have access by faith of what Christ has done inside of our life. We could all stand here this morning, this evening. Some of you here tonight, you need Jesus to be the lampstand in your life. You need lights in your marriage. You need lights with your kids. Some of you, you need Jesus to be the bread of life. You're empty. You're hungry for, you, you, you want something. You, you, you need Jesus to be the bread of life inside of you. Some of you, you haven't been to that secret place with God. You haven't been into the Holy of Holies for a long time. I challenge you to run in there boldly because that's how we get there. By boldly coming in because of what he's done inside of our life. You know one thing I love to do? I love to have victory over the enemy. Is anyone here tonight you love that? You know what? When I come into church, maybe I come in and maybe I'm tired. Maybe me and my wife are facing some things in our life. But by the time we leave church, I don't want to be that same person. I want to walk out there with victory. And how do you and I get that victory? It's by boldly coming in. It's by boldly coming in by facing God. I need breakthrough. I need your presence. I need your strength. I need your anointing. God, I need your bread. Lord, I need you to be the lamp unto my feet. And maybe you're here tonight 
and you need that tonight. We're going to go ahead and pray for you, but tonight we're going to have every head bowed and every eye closed in reverence to God.